thank you, everyone. I, I truly appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I know you spent some time last week with immigration, and it's never an easy subject and one that I continually wish we weren't having the same discussion over and over as Nick was saying 25 years. I'm looking, I'm going to introduce some folks from IGM who are here tonight and we're getting too old for this crap. I mean, <laughs> it has been going on a long time. Um, but who is IGM? We uh, began in 2008. We came out of the sanctuary movement. I won't go into that a lot, but the 1980s sanctuary movement and things were happening in this country um, around 2007 that not that we thought it was a good idea for people to start living in churches but people started coming to churches to um, receive shelter and safety. So iGEM is a faith-based movement. We're largely Anglo and immigrant churches. Um, we come together in this very large piece of immigration issues around the idea of keeping families together around detention and deportation and there's a lot of other work that can be done around immigration but that is the piece we have carved out and within that we do things like um, prayer vigils we uh, had one about a year ago for Luis and his three-year-old son a prayer vigil at 3 a.m because that is when ICE was going to deport his child at three years old uh, with his partner back to their home country. And so we held a uh, prayer vigil for their safety, which if you remember that story, it was not very safe for the immigration attorney as ICE shoved her so hard at the doorway it broke her ankle. But we then had the prayer vigil and the press conference after that. Most of our work right now is around workshops, something like this, and then the big piece of what we do is accompaniment. And so that may be accompaniment to immigration court hearings, it may be accompaniment to civil hearings, because often people are caught up in a civil process um, and then put into the immigration system. So to explain about that, I want to introduce Jeanette and Ken, if you guys will stand. They definitely are the uh, linchpin to our immigration court watch and so that happens during the days, Mondays through Friday. We're usually Tuesday through Wednesday, and we are, just as it sounds, observing immigration court because we have some immigration judges who are doing some ethical violations, and so we, we are there for that. And honestly, everybody behaves a little bit better if you're being watched. Uh, the other thing we do is Jericho Walk. Uh, we're doing it about once a month right now with just all the things that are going on in the system. We do a prayerful presence in silence in front of Immigration Court, which is near Crown Center. So it's 2345 Grand Avenue. I also want to introduce Patricia and her family. She's going to speak a little bit later, but Patricia and Rodolfo and Evelyn uh, are here as well. And Patricia is the Vice President of IJAM. So thank you guys for being with us tonight. So I'm thinking it is, I heard people say, it's a little cold in here. So I'm gonna wrap up in this fuzzy, warm blanket. My visual aids this evening, this is the blanket that are given to the children and families as they enter detention. We lovingly call these emergency blankets, but this is what we give a child and their parents to keep warm at night. I also wanted to point out the jacket I'm wearing. Um, the suit jacket represents Congress. Congress seems to think right now that children in detention do not need toothbrushes or soap 
or in the recent weeks, uh, young women don't need pads for their periods. They are given one a day. So a reminder that Congress is making the laws, um, but laws should be the moral compass of the people. And so if we think these laws are not matching up to what we would like to see, we should do something about it. I forgot Nick wired me both ways. I'm not going to be able to get rid of the jacket, but <laughs> the shirt uh, might represent some of the things that we would rather be saying um, instead of denying children toothbrushes and soap. We would rather resist um, abolish ice. Um, on the back of the shirt, it has that famous saying, I really care, not I really don't care. So as we open up this evening, you have at your table a bunch of white paper. If you would pick that up and together, we will enter into a call to worship. And I want to give credit to where it's due. I am a student of Claudio Cavalli's, and that is where I uh, did all my worship and preaching classes. So this is a liturgy he wrote, and we're going to use three different ones for the Festival of Homiletics this year. So I'll start with the leader, and you all will reply with all. God of the foolish, we have come with our wanderings and uncertainty, with our sense of not being enough, with our foolishness to believe that the world can be different. God of the weak, we have come seeking hope for all children, seeking to be part of your justice making, seeking ways you can use us in our weakness to build shalom. God of the lowly and despised, we have come, trusting in a greater vision, trusting your care for those who feel insignificant, trusting you will lift up the voices of the lowly to boast in you. For you are our God, and you come with holiness and redemption among the people to make hope and promise known. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to parachute you into a story. As I said with my visual aids, the news of children in cages, children and families in concentration camps, officials who think toothbrushes and bars of soap are unnecessary items for children who are being held in cages. Let us not dwell on the dehumanizing oppression porn in our current news cycle. But let us tonight be moved to prayerful, prophetic action. So I'm going to say something really important here because even though this evening I am focusing on migrant caravans and parents that have been ripped from their children and the horror of detaining children, I want to make no mistake, this has been going on for decades. And I'm not going to quantify traffic stops that separate a father from his family, or police picking up a 17-year-old while his five-year-old sister is hanging onto his arms, begging for him to stay, or a mother getting a gallon of milk at a quick stop and being hauled away while police call for social services to pick up her five-month-old daughter and her three-year-old. Because these horrors have been happening on our watch for the last decade, but not making national headlines. But all of them lead us to the stories that we hear today. So back in February, I 
became a support sponsor for a father and son that were going to present themselves at the border for asylum. Fast forward to a few months later, a weekend in April, I received news that Jose was going to be released from a detention center outside of San Diego. And he would be on his way to Kansas City to be reunited with his 10-year-old son, Irvin. But then the very next day, on Saturday, I received news that there had been a little bit of a mix-up. And if I agreed, I was not going to just be their solidarity sponsor, but I would be their sole sponsor which meant they were going to come and live with me. And I know enough about the asylum process to know that this is about a two-year journey. But I also knew that saying no would mean that Jose was back in detention and that he would not be reunited with his family, more than likely ever. So I got home from the weekend retreat and I prepared an extra bedroom, sort of, uh, and called IJAM for their arrival, and Patricia and I went to the airport to pick up Jose and Irvin. It was a leap of faith, and I was not sure there was going to be a parachute. So you tonight are my beloved community, and yet here we are several years later, still talking about the same issues around immigration. I really kind of hope I would have been here talking about something else, that things would have been different. But it seems we have normalized people dying on the desert and detaining migrants and migrant children still being held in cages. So I had to think about what would our focus be for the few minutes we have together. Nick and I study with some Benedictine sisters and they encourage us always to look at the why and focus on the why. And so I think that's a good thing to do as we do that individually and as I revisit my why. Because just to regurgitate these horrors, just to go home and repost a Facebook post, which is helpful, but putting those sad tears on a story for the horrible things being done in our country, we have got to do more. So I hope you are moved to get dirty for Jesus and take some prayerful action. And if I had to think about my why, I have these wonderful uh, mentors in my life that always encourage me to think of my working definitions of things. It's to see wholeness in a fragmented world, meaning that wholeness through justice and healing for all. And all means all, especially our immigrant brothers and sisters. So join me now in our call to prayer, I believe it's listed in your paper. And it's rather long, but hang with me because I just couldn't figure out how to make it any shorter. <laughs> oh God, who forms us and gathers us as a people. A home for the children, the widows, the immigrants, the doubters, the hopeful, those with little and those with much. O God, who cast an image of abundant hospitality, you call us to set a place for those who are here and those who are yet to come. A home for people of all nations and backgrounds, for people who are filled with faith and those filled with questions, for youth and for elders. When we fail to expand your welcome table, forgive us. O God, who longs for us to know you more fully, you call us in word and witness 
in psalmody and song. You dwell with us, a leader, a home, a home to hear stories of faith, wrestle with difficult questions, experience resurrection where music and learning, wonder and excitement come to life. When we fail to embrace the urgency of wonder and faith, forgive us. O God who draws us into community, call us to come with the fullness of who we are. A home for the healing and the hurting, the laughing and the lamenting, the floundering and the faithful. When we fail to care for others, forgive us. O God who engages us in service, you call us to live as beacons of mercy and grace in the world. A home, a church alive, an office and family room, in classrooms and labs, moving from the sanctuary to the streets. When we in the world, forgive us. O God, who cast for us a vision of jubilee and new life, you call us to raise our voices to act for justice, to be your hands and feet. A home where hatred and division is no more, where war and violence is ended, where all are held in your embrace. When we fail to be about this vision and work, forgive us. Friends in Christ, hear this good news. Our God continues to form and transform us. The times and places that we have failed in what we have done or not done, God releases. God lifts us up in grace that we might rest again in welcome and generosity, in faith and hope, in service and faithful action. We are met again by a God who imagines a new way for us and draws forth a dream for the future. So at some point, Jose had decided that living in Guatemala was too dangerous for his family. He saved enough money to fly his wife and his four-year-old daughter ahead to the border. Jose's plan was that he and at the time nine-year-old Irvin would travel to the border with a caravan. For Jose and Irvin, it was a 22-day journey of walking and riding in shipping containers from Guatemala to the Texas border. His wife and daughter were arrested as soon as they made it to the border. And one month later, Jose and Irvin were also held in a detention center. On May of 2018, Jose and Irvin were in the same detention center, but they separated all the children from their fathers. But this father and son would look forward to the one time each day where they would see the other passing in a hallway separated by this giant plexiglass wall. And Irvin sometimes would write this smiley face in the steam kind of etched in the fog on the windows and put his initials there so his father would know that he was okay. And this fog was happening because the freezing temperatures in the room mixed with the body heat of hundreds. Even today, they call it the ice box where temperatures are freezing, the lights are on 24 hours a day, officers check people at 10 p.m., 1 a.m., and 4 a.m. Meals are twice a day at 10 and 4, a bottle of water, an apple, and a milk. 
And this went on for about a month. And then one day, Irvin no longer saw his father passing in the hallway. Irvin said, I went to look for my father, but he wasn't there anymore. And the other children were crying, so I went to them. ICE had taken Jose in for an interview. Jose thought it was to reunite him with his son. After all, they knew they arrived in this country as father and son. But Jose only speaks Spanish, and the ICE officers only English. And there were many affirmative answers to Jose's questions. So Jose thought that Irvin would be with him once he signed the paper. Because ICE knew they came to this country as father and son, just like hundreds of other families there. But the officer put five pages of documents in front of Jose, and Jose was signing his own deportation order. In hours, he was deported back to Guatemala without seeing his son. Irvin spent five months in detention before he was reunited with a relative, his uncle. Jose and Irvin were separated for 326 days before an immigrant rights organization in California made them part of a lawsuit against the government for separating parents and children at the border. So being horrified, actually being kind of pissed off about this story is not going to solve it, but my hope is that righteous anger might. That righteous anger causes you to do something, to be noticed. And I mean that there's this agitation in us, kind of like the one in a washing machine, where it's felt in our gut, in our heart, in our head. But actually, I need an agitation so strong that the washing machine is unbalanced, where you're feeling this has to stop, that the entire machine of for-profit industrial prisons that is putting people in cages, that is separating children when coming to this country, seeking asylum is a misdemeanor at best not a convicted crime. Unbalanced, because we are not going to stand for this anymore, and we need to take a step. And I believe as long as we take a step today, and another one tomorrow, and sometimes it feels like a giant step backwards, but that we keep taking a step, that it'll become easier. Because I hold dear to me that we are all divine that we are carrying the spirit of the divine with us and doing nothing is not an option. I'm gonna talk louder just for a second. I'm gonna pass these out. Um, if you get one, I hope you don't mind reading. If you don't wanna read out loud, then pass it to someone else at the table in a moment. These are some quotes that were written uh, by a group several months ago, some of you may have read in the news, that went and visited some detention centers and found what the conditions were like. So if you would take turns reading these quotes fully, and then I'm gonna ask you a question afterwards, so I'll give you a little uh, cue ahead of time. These are the voices of the children, and so we're gonna listen to that, and then we're gonna rewrite this script. I'm hungry here at Clint's all the time. I'm so hungry that I've woken up in the middle of the night with hunger. Sometimes I wake up from hunger at 4 a.m., sometimes at other hours. I'm too scared to ask the officials here for any more food, even though there is not enough food here for me. We slept on mats on the floor and gave us aluminum blankets. They took our baby's diapers, baby formula, and all of our belongings. Our clothes were still wet and we were very cold. 
we got sick. I've been in the U.S. for six days, and I've never been offered a shower or been able to brush my teeth. There is no soap, and our clothes are dirty. They have never been washed. Girl, age 15. I had no place to wash the clothes, so I could not put them back on my baby because when he went to the bathroom, his poop came out of his diaper and all over his clothing. Since then, my baby of only three months has only been wearing a small little jacket made of t-shirt material. I have nothing else for my son to wear. I have been told they do not have any clothes here at this place. I just want my baby to be warm enough. I'm having to make sure I carry my baby super close to me to make sure his little body is warm. They told us that we could only have one layer of clothing and they threw away the rest of our clothes in the garbage. Boy, age 16. My baby got wet and I had to take his pants off two days ago and I have not been able to get any pants in there since. Girl, age 17. The day we arrived, my baby became sick. She could not open her eyes and had a fever that got much worse during the day. I asked the guard for help and he told me to just do it. I asked for help again and was ignored. The third time I asked, I was crying because she was so much worse. I was very worried for her. After two days, she was treated for hospital. We have only saved one since then he changed. On June 4th, we were taken to an area with about 28 showers. We bathed and brushed our teeth. Since then, however, we have been able to bathe. We have, we have been able to bathe. I have not been able to wash and clean my baby since June 4th. We do not have toothbrushes or toothpaste or towels in the cases. My daughter's onesie is very dirty. I have not been able to wash it since June 4th. Girl, age 17. I, I started taking care of X, age 5, from the icebox after they separated her from her father. I did not know either of them before that. She was very upset. The workers did nothing to try to comfort her. I tried to comfort her, and she has been with me ever since. X sleeps on a mat with me on the concrete floor. We spend all day, every day, in that room. There are no activities, only crying. Girl, age 16. with babies and young children. We have one mat we need to share with each other. It is very cold. We each get a Mylar blanket, but it is not enough to warm up. There are benches, but we cannot sleep there. Sometimes it is so crowded we cannot find a place to sleep. So they allow a few of us to sleep outside the fence area. The lights are on all the time. Girl, age 16. So these are actual quotes that were taken in June, and some of you may have seen the stories made most um, headlines. 
uh, it was a group of attorneys that were allowed to go visit the detention centers in Texas. Um, believe it or not, most attorneys, frankly most people, it's even difficult for families, are not allowed in to see what was going on in the detention centers. So this was a really important piece um, to be able to see what was going on. But I think as we listen to all of these, I believe very much in the power of our stories and how would we rewrite this story if it was up to us. If we were going into a detention center, let me back up, because I actually believe the children in detention centers, frankly adults in detention centers, is a crime against humanity and how we are conducting them. So if we were at the border and these children, if you couldn't hear, most of them are between the ages 14 and 17 years old, came to the border with their parents, what would we want to be telling them? And I'm pretty good with silence, so I'll let you guys think for a second, and then I'm gonna ask us to share this, because I think there's power in recognizing that there is a narrative we hold that needs to be told. In the voice of a child, what would you like for them to be saying? There's no wrong answer. They comfort me. I was fed and clothed. I would say that I wish they had the opportunity my dad had when he was an immigrant to this country. Do you have time to play? Do you have hope? When I came, they made me feel like I was at home. When someone gets sick, there's something serious. They get us all I believe we have the power to change this narrative. I believe that we can change it so that when children and families come to our borders, heck, maybe one day borders won't even exist, but that might be a stretch. But when folks come to this country, that they are greeted with the hope that they left. This was not a vacation that they are greeted with the love that they deserve. And so I'm grateful for your voices tonight and how we can change that narrative around. The other thing we do in community organizing, we have uh, two things that we usually look at. The world the way it is, and the world <laughs> how we would want it to be, and how we join that power together to create that. But our current context is pretty harsh, and I'm just going to read three things that have happened in the last probably five or six weeks. The Trump administration continues to escalate attacks on immigrants through cruel and harsh policies that are designed to tear families apart and terrorize communities. Recently, ICE Immigration Customs Enforcement sent letters to some of the immigrants in sanctuary. There's about 42 different public sanctuary cases across the country right now. 
I sent these letters to these leaders requiring or asking for them to pay more than $750 for every day they have remained in the country undocumented following their removal orders. These fines, even in my quick math, are exorbitant and add up to hundreds and thousands of dollars for some of those who have stayed in places of worship to fight their deportation order, but more importantly, to, remind, to remain united with their families. So harassing immigrants with these fines and trying to separate families is immoral by our compass. ICE is trying to create fear and bully immigrants' rights leaders and their faith communities while we are just trying to create a safe sanctuary. But these tactics are clearly uh, a violation um, to limit freedom of speech and freedom of religious expression and faith communities as we reach out to welcome our neighbors. ICE is acting as a political army in order to terrorize our brothers and sisters. The other example I was gonna give is Reverend Kaja Dosha. She is um, with Sanctuary out of New York City. She has made a commitment that she will not be bullied into silence and she will continue to speak out prophetically and she continues to offer sanctuary as an expression of her faith. But she is a pastor who has been put on the watch list by US authorities following her work with the very immigrant caravan that Jose came in. But a few weeks ago, she filed a federal lawsuit alleging that her rights were violated. And I think it's important to realize it's multifaceted. Reverend Doshe, as the senior pastor of Park Avenue, says that the government's surveillance, and I'm quite certain, um, detention and interrogation as being placed on this no-fly list and database is now impeding her ministry with immigrants and asylum seekers. Reverend says she is now constantly thinking about how to work with people who count on her without making them vulnerable to also being under surveillance. This is the quote she published when she filed the lawsuit. It chills my ability to respond to these people who I had already set up a pastoral relationship with and they don't have anybody else. It's irresponsible for me to have a conversation with someone about the most vulnerable things they are holding and carrying without warning them first that what they might say might be used them in a court of law or somewhere else. It's terrible that that's the state we are in. And then the last thing I could highlight, because there's one emerging almost every week right now under this administration. Trump has proposed um, that mixed status families are no longer eligible for housing. Under existing rules, people who do not have uh, eligible immigration status cannot receive housing subsidies. Right now, people can live as documented and undocumented families, but the proposed rule would change that policy barring, barring any eligible family members from housing assistance. And a family member does not have to be undocumented to consider, be considered ineligible. HUD estimates that if this rule was put into place, it would evict up to 25,000 immigrant families from their homes across the United States, including 50,000 children who are green card holders or U.S. citizens. So we have this world as it is, 
and the world as we want it to be. And I think it would be good if we would name quickly, kind of popcorn style, some of our core values that we would hold dear as to the world as we would want it to be. Really all. Where human rights aren't just words on paper. Free of violence. Full of knowledge. Full of knowledge. Joyful fellowship. So we have this beautiful picture of how we want the world to be. And we hold tightly with love and grace and mercy the values that we have named here. And I think, even if I speak for myself, we struggle with how to reconcile these two worlds. I think Patricia and Rodolfo are some of the bravest people I have ever met in my life. It has been a privilege to work with them. It's always a little bit of embarrassment when she names me, but I'm grateful that, to knowledge that there were many churches, many pastors, Pastor Daniel Bocanegra could not be here this evening, who helped make their journey a little bit easier. But I'm mindful, and I hope you forgive me for saying that it did not have the happiest of endings. Dignity is lived, and hope has been held tightly but the truth of the matter is, is Ice asked her and her husband some very hard questions about who was going to stay in the country and who was going to leave. And it's a very long, drawn-out piece when this happens. But in the end, their family is not together because their son Hector was deported back to Mexico. And so they continue to make visits to him and see him. But the reality is, ICE is still breaking up families. So I think we have time for um, one or two more things. And I thought we would read together. It's listed as a statement of faith written by Claudia <coughs> Cavales. We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor, and release the captives, teaching by word and deed, and blessing the children, healing the sick, and binding up the brokenhearted, eating with outcasts, forgiving sinners, and calling all to repent and believe the gospel. We trust in God, whom Jesus called Abba, Father, in sovereign love, world good. 
and makes everyone equally in God's image, male and female, of every race and people, to live as one community. But we rebel against God. We hide from our Creator, ignoring God's commandments, and violate the image of God in others and ourselves, accept lies as truth, exploit neighbor and nature, and threaten death to the planet entrusted to our care. Yet God acts with justice and mercy to redeem creation. Loving us still, God makes us heirs with Christ of the covenant. Like a mother who will not forsake her nursing child, like a father who runs to welcome the prodigal home, God is faithful still, and we trust in God the Holy Spirit giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith, sets us free to accept ourselves and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ the Church. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask adulteries in the church and culture, to hear the voices of people long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks, to live holy and joyful lives even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth. Praying come, Lord Jesus. My hope is, is that we reflect. No, actually, I think that we claim how our faith has inspired us and then claim your story. Inform your perspective because this does impact the community. So often statistics and numbers cannot change the narrative, but our stories can. And it can change for those whom we love. And their hope is in the end, we can change a system when we understand how our stories are all connected. So I'll leave you with this blessing and then we'll have a minute, a hot minute and a half probably, Nick, for questions. But maybe God bless you enough with your foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that you are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. So faithful and foolish people who believe you can make a difference, God is at work in us and sends us forth together. Thank you. You have, if you have any questions, we have a minute. If not, I will remain afterwards, maybe the best scenario. I'm looking for, yeah, that would work best. We have a table back there that talks about the Jericho Walk. There's a Jericho Walk happening uh, at the end of this month. Uh, if you would like to, um, we have a call to action. Call your congresspersons. Join with some of the other uh, area organizations. I know you heard from AIR last week and IJAM. Uh, the clinic is the nonprofit doing legal work in uh, the metro area. So sign up for court watch trainings, and um, there's a couple other call to action back there. And if I can leave you with anything, continue the conversation and please make it your story. Thanks. Lori, you mentioned just a bunch of resources just now. Where can people find those resources?
all of like the trainings for the court watches? There's two handouts in the back. Okay. And the best thing, honestly, um, our website has the general information. It's difficult for us as all volunteers to keep the website up to date. Uh, if you're on Facebook, like us on Facebook. We do the event things, but there are handouts back there that list uh, the next month's events. Thanks. talk to you all as well if, if anybody is interesting and is interested in going about being a support I forget what she said like the sole support or solidarity support for folks seeking asylum and needing needing a place to, to live right. through that process right and, and that's a bittersweet piece. It's unfortunate we have it after living through it with Jose and Irvin um, being an asylum seeker is extraordinarily difficult in this country. Um, he can't get a job right now, um, and even with the current climate, it's very difficult to even get like cash jobs that used to be kind of the norm. Um, it, it can be up to a two-year commitment. It's a very long process, and um, but yeah, you could leave your name there. And as there's honestly not that many caravans coming through, but but you'll hear that this lottery system is on the border, and there's approximately. 2,000 people at any time waiting for their number to be called. That's just like who's showing up that day. And everybody who comes in has to have a sponsor. And the, and, and the trickiest part is it also has to be a sponsor with status in this country. So um, it makes it difficult for those who are joining families here and uh, may have undocumented families and in the process themselves. So uh, definitely I, I think it is, you know, and I think then the, the bittersweet part is is to work against this system so that we're allowing people to come into this country once they have passed their credible fear um, we could give them a work permit and they could be here and then they wouldn't have to um, I mean I think it feels a bit like a chain you're, you're a grown person but you're chained to a house um, to be in is this a problem worse than it was 20 years ago uh, yes I would say in most cases mostly because it's the climate of our culture um, a lot of these things led up to it all of those things you know the traffic stops that happen and that, that throw somebody into the system have been going on for decades that just simply hasn't made the news but when you have hundreds and thousands of children being caged that makes the news but what I was trying to say earlier I have a hard time differentiating a family separated whether that person had, has been in this country for 17 years and they're driving to their job and they're pulled over and then put in jail and then put in detention. They're not released anymore in the last couple of years. And so they're separated from their family. I don't find a big difference between that family separation and families separated at the border. So I'm very careful in saying just family separation, period, can't continue in the manner it has. And that has what has escalated. Question in the back? Right. And an attorney will be in court, and the government will say, oh, no. Yeah. That's a whole other different 
um, yeah, I mean, you could spend hours on that. And I know you all had Angela Ferguson here last week, and she did a good job of explaining um, what, what that process is. Um, we largely work with Shama Crawford and uh, Andrea Martinez, and they're both very upfront in saying the laws, like you said, are changing on a weekly basis and to keep up with that. And so you've, you've put all these hours into a case, and then by the time it comes to the court, how you're trying it is different. And, and there's lots of, um, somebody may say they're microaggressions, but it's a big deal in immigration law because there's no forgiveness in immigration law. You don't get do-over. You get messed up by your attorney or otherwise, you're stuck with what, what with really a deportation. But what they're doing is uh, mail's not forwarded on, so people are not getting these changes that they're making. For instance, Jose's um, court date was supposed to be um, June of 2021, and they just randomly ran it forward, and now it's the end of October. And nobody got any notice. He just happens to have attorneys that are dialing the 800 number. That's what attorneys are having to do is find out our cases being moved up without notification because that's happening. Additionally to that, uh, we haven't seen it in Kansas City, but they're saying it may happen. It's um, in five of the major cities. They're doing away with translation in immigration court, um, and they're bringing everybody in, which they kind of do anyway for the master hearing. They'll bring in 15 or 20 people at once and get them to, to state that they're in the country without permission. But that's all gonna be done with a video uh, translator. So imagine that. You know, you're being told how, what is going to happen, no ability to ask questions, and a whole lot of confusion. And what if really, you know, your language is quiche and not Spanish? So um, a, lot that, a lot of that's a big problem. So those are the things that are happening that, that are aggressive. Okay, we're probably out of time. So thank you. Thank you again, Lori.